I'm Luke Simmons. And I'm Seth Trout. And we are here to critique the hell out of culture. All right. Well, welcome back to the King Culture Podcast. It is great to have you guys with us. Seth, it's nice to be with you again. We're here in our revamped studio. Uh, the folks on our team have been doing some work to make this a better space for a lot of different kinds of things to be recorded. So no one gets to see it, at least right now. But uh, stop us on a Sunday. We'll show you. Show Visual. you where the magic happens. Just imagine something better than what you previously were imagining. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, uh, Seth, uh, we have uh, new people joining us from time to time. And uh, if they haven't gone back and listened to a bunch of episodes, they might wonder, what What do you mean when you say critiquing the hell out of culture? What, what is that about? Part of what we're talking about here is the way that sin affects systems. And by system, what I mean is a collective shared value system or habits or practices that belong to a community or to a culture. And so uh, every single culture since the fall of mankind in Genesis chapter three has been built by image bearers who have dignity and value and who in many ways represent God, but also ones who are sinful. And so their sinful inclinations, their sinful tendencies, their sinful values, their sinful desires end up manifesting in the cultures in various ways. And so one of the ways we see the word hell used in in theology is one to refer to the the literal place of torment, but the other way is to talk, describe things that are hellish or things that uh, reflect or at least point to the absence of the authority of God. And so hell is those places that are not the way they're supposed to be. Those places are hellish. And so uh, we can talk, our previous episode, we talked about what the literal hell is talking about. But when we talk about critiquing the hell of culture, we're looking at what are the places that are not heavenly, that are not Edenic, that are not reflective of what it's going to be like in the new heavens and new earth. And so those pockets are all over the place. And so when we're critiquing the hell of culture, uh, that doesn't mean we're just critiquing it a lot, which is the way that most people use that phrase. Sure. But we're saying we really want to look at our own culture within our church, within uh, the broader evangelical situation, and also within American culture, which is our culture, Arizona culture, which is our culture. And it's not that the culture is out there and the church is over here, but the church is part of the culture. We're culture makers. We're culture creators. We do that imperfectly all the time, and we just want to be mindful about the ways that we are affected by and, and or contributing to hellish aspects of our culture. Yeah, so this isn't time, trying to just sort of take shots at the culture out there, but it's really to say, hey, there are things out there that are not good, and we are more influenced by them than we think. And so that's kind of what we do in a lot of these episodes. The last few episodes have been really more kind of responsive. You know, we went through a number of questions that people asked and talked about heaven and hell and death and judgment. That sort of came out of that. Uh, but I'd say kind of the wheelhouse of, of a lot of the conversations we have is really kind of looking at different aspects in society, in culture, different dynamics, and really trying to go, what does the Bible say about those? And I think if people were to go back through the archives, they'd find a number of episodes, especially when we got into sexuality and uh, some of the things related to technology and some of those things that would be pretty critical of what a lot of people might think of as the kind of cultural left or maybe political left uh, as part of that as well. Uh, today, we're, we're striking a little closer to home, at least for you and I, because we come more naturally from the you know cultural right. Um, so what do we, where, where do you want to begin that conversation? So I think this this conversation, in my mind, begins by looking at the different pockets within American culture. We used to talk about left versus right, red versus blue, but that's less and less helpful now. 
there's so many different types of conservatives, so many different types of liberals. And there's this uh, sociologist named George Packer that wrote this book called The Four Americas. That's pretty helpful. And he, his take on these four Americas is that the first one is what he calls uh, free America. Uh, the second one is what he calls real America. The third one is smart America. And the fourth one is just America. And really those first two would be folks who self-identify as conservatives. Uh, free America would be kind of the Ronald Reagan represents those folks that don't tread on me. Uh, the, who, whose main value in government is that it gets out of their business and leaves people alone. The, kind of the phrase that Ronald Reagan said, you know, one of the scariest things you can hear is I'm from the government, I'm here to help. Right. So that's yeah. people That's who, free America. That's free America. People yeah. who strongly identify with that are going to be free America. So it'll be a lot of kind of tra- like traditional conservatism. Yeah. Yeah. Burkean, uh, small sectioned localist type folks who are going to go. Uh, the government is like... The, a preoccupation would be government overreach, yeah. being where it doesn't belong, especially government overreach from places that are far away, right? There's a so free America would also have some kind of some libertarian streak in it. Yes, yeah, libertarian streak, but they probably also value safety nets and 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 yeah. taxation. They don't see taxation as theft. Probably they do see like public goods as public goods. So, yeah. like Ronald Reagan's the best representative of that. Okay, then you got real America which he uses the example of Sarah Palin, which is kind of the uh, contrary to like the coastal elites where, you know, hunters, uh, we have trucks, we don't do that fancy academic speak. We're not elitist. So it's like anti-elitist kind of. A little more populist sounding. Yeah, populist We're the hardworking people. We're the people that make this thing go. Yeah, so Sarah Palin is that. Uh, Donald Trump was more that direction. because even like some of the, the stuff that Trump did with like tariffs, et cetera, et cetera, aren't historically conservative practices, but they are. But anyway, real America people still consider themselves uh, conservatives. And, uh, but a lot of real America ends up not necessarily being defined by historic conservative things, but more kind of being contra, like being against progressive things. So they're. Yeah. Like, and, and probably in some ways more uh, culturally conservative ish than fiscally conservative ish. Yeah. Yeah, both of those groups are going to have a high value of family. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a probably strong flinches against kind of some of the LGBTQ stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Then you have smart America, which uh, George Packer says a good example of that would be the Clintons or the Obamas. These are educated, well-spoken, powerful, uh, relative coastal elites who went to Ivy League schools and speak Ivy League language. And they're the folks that, uh, especially the real America group tends to feel like they're patronizing us. They think they're better than us. Yep. So smart America, educated, thoughtful, uh, trust the science type folks, uh, as though science says one single thing that you can trust, but that's smart America. Okay. So they'd be historical Democrats, you know, Joe Biden and that. And then the fourth group he calls just America, okay. which would he uses the example of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. Which is preoccupied with systems, systemic justice, those types of things. Again, every one of these groups, there's you know, has strengths and weaknesses to it, yeah. right? Like we would hold to a view that systemic injustice is a huge problem, right? We'd probably define it in different terms and see it where they don't see it and not see it where they do see it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But that example of uh, there are the haves and the have-nots, and the have-nots are victims of the haves, et cetera, et cetera. So those four Americas, I think, are pretty helpful to think through some of this because I think folks are listening. 
uh, probably immediately identify with one of those four groups. So, so let me ask this though, because in, in that, uh, those four groups, and I don't know if how Packer sees it or how you would see it, but as you described smart America and just America, that sounded to me like just America is further left. They're more progressive. They're more liberal than smart America. Um, how would it work on the other side? Like, which is more, which is further right? Which is, uh, you know, is it the free America or the real America? Well, I think it's probably more helpful to think about it on an axis that's not just like a pure left-right spectrum, but there's kind of a up and down and a left and right. And so what you have is a quadrants, kind of these four different quadrants. And so that's one of the things that makes some of these discussions difficult is trying to make sense of, in one sense, I think that progressive folks would see real America as far right wing, right? But they're also less libertarian and are more okay with government banning things, right? This is, these are the well, and that feels like the shift that's happened is it feels like a lot of these conversations used to be related to kind of your physical economic policy. And now they seem like they have a lot more to do with your cultural instincts yes. around LGBTQ issues, around uh, justice type issues, around those sorts of things. That feels like, you know, it, now how, how do you approach COVID? You know, all that sort of stuff feels like way more the marker that's what that's what people are using as a way to go. Oh, you're this. Oh, you're that. More than like you know, what do you think about yeah. trade? So just for example, so trying to put on a clear spectrum of who's right wing, who's left wing. Partly, no one ever describes himself as wing. So <laughs> sure, <laughs> try not to use that language because yeah. nobody's like I'm a right wing. Like right wingers are bad, right? So uh, nobody. I've I've yet to hear someone say like I'm a left wing yeah. wacko or I'm I'm way far right because everyone. I, some of them I have heard, I had an old friend who said, uh, I'm a flaming conservative. I'm a flaming conservative. <laughs> but, well, okay, great. Like, yeah. self-aware. Yeah, or just attention-seeking. <laughs> <That's still, laughs> no, he wasn't that. Anyway. All right, got it. Anyway, so the part of where this breaks down in that made me want to even do some of these, this episode, was I was minding my own business, doom-scrolling on Facebook, obviously. <laughs> and Is this, there any other kind of scrolling on Facebook? No, there's not. And so I follow the Daily Wire which is a conservative, self-styled, uh, right-wing, as as most people who hate them would say, deal. And this Facebook video came up, and I'm just going to read it. I brought it up again to make sure that I was quoting this right. Here's the title of the article. The Conservative Case for Hooters Booty Shorts. Okay. And I'm going, how did we get here? How are conservatives all of a sudden going, Hooters Booty Shorts, we want those we want to identify with those because if you're thinking about historical conservatism, religious or non-religious, there's like a value of modesty, a yep. value of not sexualizing culture, like being anxious about the sexual revolution yeah. was a huge marker of historic right wing politics for a lot of decades. Yeah. You can imagine people in the nineties critiquing Bill Clinton as like, Oh, he's probably the guy hanging out at Hooters, you know, that yeah. liberal, you know, wife cheating, blah, 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 blah. And you're going, wait, 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 what? Now conservatives are defending this. Yeah. And and so there's this. Some, right? Not everybody, but. Yeah. But there's an article about it. Yeah, the Daily Wire. And so, it's a video. And yeah. I didn't watch the video because I assume there's going to be a lot of Hooters booty shorts in it. <laughs> so I don't, if someone wants to watch that video, who's wants to do that? And 
tell me that I totally misread the article. But it, so that was part of that. And then Rod Dreher, who wrote this book, Live Not, Live Not by Lies, which I think is a book that's really good and talks about. It's a book that's a lot about how uh, communist uh, thought was pushed in through the schools and, and the way it was a totalizing force in culture. And he applied some of that thought to some of like the LGBTQ agenda of late. Um, but he wrote this article called Charlie Kirk's Hooters Conservatism. That's a, that's where we stole the title of this episode from, Hooters Conservatives. And that article came out way before the Daily Wire video did. That was like December 20th, 2020. And it's just talking about how the real America folks uh, have begun to define themselves not as really being any like way like historically conservative, but their main value is owning the libs. So mm. what do liberals not like? Liberals don't like guns or hooters. Well, guess what we like? We like guns and we like hooters. And and, and liberals would say at this point, and this would be also sort of newish, you know, that they don't like hooters because it's too sexualizing of women. Yeah, it's degrading. It's in, uh, they probably don't make a living wage. Yeah. And it's a another place that's reinforcing these gendered stereotypes type things but they would defend a, a server's you know sex positive choice to work there and yeah right? it's very confusing it's uh, yeah and so <laughs> but so part but, of it is you have you know these charlie kirk turning point usa bang energy girls dancing around trying to sell energy drinks and it's basically a big frat party and the the not that anything's inherently wrong with frat parties but they tend to have things that are inherently wrong going on at them yeah and this kind of we every day on the way to church, I drive past the uh, conservatives who are selling things that say um, "F Joe Biden." Yeah, for so for those of you who uh, maybe you come to our campus from the east, or maybe you aren't you know really connected to our thing down the street. There's a guy who every day he sets it up. This is like this four way intersection. There's nothing at the intersection. It's just dirt, and he pulls up with his trailer gets out a bunch of tables and it is uh, tables probably 40 feet long, 50 feet long with all the kind of Trump gear you could ever want, you know, flags, shirts, banners, weight, you know, all this stuff uh, and a giant banner that says, you know, let's go Brandon. Yeah. Let's hashtag go Brandon. FJB. Hashtag FJB. FJ. Like sometimes it doesn't even say the F it just has the actual word. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think about conservatives who are, you know, the religious, right, the moral majority, that now there's this whole batch of them who feel comfortable telling, saying F someone, Yeah. you know, uh, which is hardly representative of the heart of Christ. Or going, and, well, no, I didn't technically say F Joe Biden. I just said, let's go, Brandon. Wink, wink, wink. Yeah. I had, I had some guy I met with who was talking about he wants to be a pastor one day and He's 20 or something like that. And his Instagram profile said, let's go, Brandon. And I said to him, hey, how about the phrase F Joe Biden? And I actually said it to him. And he got all super cringed out. Like, how could you say that? I'm like, you put it in your Instagram profile. Yeah. He's like, oh, I didn't put that. I put let's go, Brandon. I'm like, and so those of you who don't know, the way this started was there's a NASCAR race and some guy named Brandon won. And the whole crowd after Brandon wins starts chanting F Joe Biden. And then some interviewer lady with the microphone was like, apparently didn't hear what they said or was trying to cover up what they're saying. It's like, I think they're saying let's go Brandon. And so now let's go Brandon is just code for F Joe Biden and a bunch of folks think they're cute. And so you have this kind of weird thing where conservatives that are historically like this pro family, pro dignity, 
the sexuality belongs in the home between a man and his wife and nowhere else. Uh, it's this kind of like holistic, holistic, wholesome uh, concern about uh, moral decline in our country, concern about uh, sexualizing of persons and like the absence of modesty in this process. And now you have uh, a batch of conservatives who are, are mostly marked by F. Joe Biden and this conservative case for Hooter shorts. And again, I don't know what percentage of conservatives that is, but we have to understand that you have a Trump 2024 banner being sold right next to a F. Joe Biden, Joe Biden banner right next to a uh, come and take them assault rifle thing. Yeah. Right. And so whether we want to or not, those of folks who are listening who consider themselves conservatives have to understand that that inclination to just want to own the libs, that that desire to uh, even some of the folks I've talked to who are, who are moving out this direction, they're seeing like the way that the LGBTQ stuff is erasing the distinction between man and woman. And they're seeing the way that uh, especially like the technological work revolution is erasing the distinction between quote state home moms and go to work dads. And now there's kind of this like co-parenting thing going on and, and the flinch is rather than to uh, thoughtfully make sense of cultural changes and look at healthily critical ways of looking at some of this kind of erasure between manhood and womanhood, they're defaulting back into flinching into like these harsh gender roles that aren't really found in scripture and going back into like this kind of Don Draper-esque women are secretaries and Hooters workers and men are, uh, you know, drive trucks and have to do big work. And so there's like this resistance away from progressive movements of erasing generals into like a flinch back into readapting these negative stereotypes that actually were a huge problem. And so. Well, well, it seems like for, for people who come at, um, they land in a conservative political place because of faith. Right. And I think that's where a lot of Christians who are conservative, that's why they would say they're conservative. Uh, they'd say, Hey, this is about the unborn and protecting the unborn. This is about religious liberty this is about um, you know being pro-family and all the concerns you just raised. It's really easy to see the kind of irreligious left, right, and to see the influence of Hollywood and the influence of all these different things that are kind of shaping and animating the the irreligious left. What's been interesting to me is this kind of rise of the irreligious right, this irreligious conservative kind of rise. Um, where you have a conservatism that isn't coming out of a place of faithfulness to God. It's not coming out of a place of you know conviction related to Christ. It's, it has to do more with, the like you said, owning the libs. And um, as someone who is conservative, I find myself, I'm not really tempted by the, you know, AOC, you know, all that stuff, the sexual revolution in that way. But I am kind of more tempted by the, the irreligious right. Yeah, there's you know, that piece of me because we have the same enemies politically speaking and it's like and so i think that's some of what we're trying to get at is like hey we we might un end up in some alliances that we don't actually want to be aligned with uh again for those of us who are in a more conservative place um so so how do, do you, any insight on this kind of rise of the irreligious right where, where does that come from and, and why is it such a potential temptation for christians 
I, th- I think it's important to note that in our context, most people who, who have their political affiliations, who lean conservative, you know, especially like in, in relatively majority white communities, uh, the more committed someone is to Jesus, the more, the more they tend to be conservative. Yeah. That, that's just not true in other historical contexts. Like a lot of like really faithful, theologically conservative black churches People are going to tend towards being relatively progressive, uh, largely for other reasons. And yeah. so there is a legitimate risk or threat that I think both communities need to be able to look at is that uh, when you lean right, your temptation is almost always going to be to go more and more and more right. Yeah. And when you lean left, your temptation is to be more and more and more left because, you know, the enemy of my enemies is my friend. And we try to measure our risk, right? That's part of like, the human thought process. We try to think, what am I at risk for? Or what are we at risk for? And conservatives have generally decided, this is one of the reasons why real America and free America tend to partner up, is because they've decided that the main risk is statist instincts or the government enforces a morality or an ethic that excludes certain people from the public square mm-hmm. that's largely centered on LGBTQ realities and that has a lot to do with um, kind of patronizing those who didn't go to certain types of schools and don't hold to some type of secular orthodoxy, and there's a there's a punishing there, and so both of those go like that's our biggest risk. Therefore, we will try to fight them. Well, it also seems like the irreligious right isn't hostile to Christianity explicitly. Yeah, in the same way that the irreligious left is right. Like yeah. like there are plenty of people who are like, hey man, I'm not really going to church. I'm not reading my Bible. I don't follow Jesus. I don't really even claim to be a Christian, but man, I think you should be able to, and kind of God and country and country music and, you know, and so it can, I think the threat can feel less threatening because it doesn't, it's not as right up there in your face. Yeah. When I talk to my non-Christian friends who are conservatives, I tell them I'm a pastor, they're like, yeah, whatever. I could, whereas if I talk to my non-Christian friends who are more progressives, I tell them I pastor, I can feel it create tension in them. And so there is that, well, okay, these people aren't made anxious by my profession. Uh, so I think that understanding that our, our risk is important here. You made this point the other day when we were talking in the office about how conserv- like you tend to be more afraid of something else, but you don't see the threat on your other side, and so you tend to go farther and farther and farther from the center. Yeah, um, this is how we've ended up so polarized. Is Yeah, you, you don't see the, you see the opposite threat. You don't see the threat of becoming more of what you already are. Yeah, so a lot of what I hope that folks within our church or folks who are listening would understand is uh, not that there are only threats on one or the other side. Like, there's not some clean political spectrum here. But I have noticed that, like, the most folks who have children are concerned about, like, LGB stuff. Mm-hmm. That lesbian, gay, bisexual stuff is going to come for their kids' hearts, come for their affections it's going to lead them out of the church that a whole world is telling them to give in to their desires. Their desires are good and they should yield to them and their desires tell them who they are. And so go be who you are. That there's a, a bunch of folks I know in the thirties, forties, fifties who are very concerned about that. And there's a bunch of folks I know who are in their seventies who are concerned about their grandkids and they're concerned about moral decline and they're concerned about those things. And I think that is, con- is legitimate as well. But I think, 
it's interesting that the other thing that I want us to be also concerned about is the LGB on the other side, which is like the let's go Brandon <laughs> stuff. Sure, yeah. like there's LGBs coming for us all over the place, which is this uh, flinch of our heart that writes off and says, F all those people. Uh, we're not thinking like, we're certainly not thinking like missionaries who are sent to be a blessing to a lost people. If we're saying F those people. We're certainly not believing Ephesians six twelve that says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual force of darkness that reign over this present darkness. We're certainly not believing that. I had a mentor one time, Daryl Delhuse, who was a teaching pastor at uh, Grace when I was going to started going to seminary, and whenever he quoted that verse, he's like, "Here's a verse none of you people believe." <laughs> Ephesians six twelve, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of darkness. And his point in that was everyone thinks that there's enemies that are humans. But the reality is that it's the ideologies that are demonic that inhabit their minds. And I do think that the F those people is explicitly demonic. F that person is explicitly demonic. And that kind of dig my heels in, who do you think you are going to tell me what to do, thinking is pretty contrary to the heart of Christ, which is actually a heart of submission, that we're actually, as Christians, called to be in submission to governing authorities. And that's complicated in a democratic process because uh, we're a government by the people. And so we participate in that. But there is like a recognition that that kind of pure anarchist thing that goes, I should be able to do whatever I want all the time because I believe in freedom mm-hmm. is not biblical. Yeah. Right. There are structures and governments and authorities and, and laws and certainly imperfect. They're certainly not as they're supposed to be. And they will be that way until Jesus comes back. But participating in those systems and trying to help them reflect the heart of Christ more effectively is part of the Christian call. And this kind of digger heels and FU people is not great. And I think especially, too, there's just a recognition that the concern and the way that LGB on the one side is erasing all this gender stuff, this flinch into like, well, guess what we're going to do? We're going to just sexualize everybody and make sure everyone knows who's a man and who's a woman based on what they wear. And, yeah. and it kind of default flinching into like, we got to do this like, Southern Bell country guy thing because that's the way it used to be before the libs came and made everyone wear pants and et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> you know, or, yeah. or whatever. And so I think being adequately concerned about the way that real America, like we're real Americans, mm-hmm. uh, which tends to exclude a lot of people, people who don't check certain gender stereotypes, people who a lot of the time aren't white, people a lot of time uh, aren't from certain parts of the country who have certain professions I think mm-hmm. there's like a sense of shame that can accompany those things. And so I see literally in our midst this real America thing threatening us and the desiring to identify with it and desiring to undermine like the heart of love that moves towards the other that we see in the way of Jesus. So would um, being more of a faithful Christian mean I have to leave real America? If that's kind of where I naturally, that's kind of my political instinct. Are you saying I need to move to free America or I need to move to smart or just America? Or can I still kind of go, no, I see myself kind of in that real America place. I just do it differently. I think one of the things we need to be able to do is to be mindfully critical of every stream we swim in. So I don't think someone needs to leave real America. I don't think someone needs to. Nor you're saying they need to stay. Nor am I saying they need to stay. I think that. Free America, real America, just America, and smart Smart, America all have things that reflect the heart of God and all have things that are idolatrous and problematic. And we've done a whole bunch of episodes on the smart America uh, 
um, Just America yeah. previously. Sure. And maybe we'll do an episode in the future that's more explicitly concerned about free America. But mostly every day when I drive to work, I drive past the F. Joe Biden yeah. posters and uh-huh. going, this gets in our hearts. You know, the same way that if you have to walk past the Victoria's Secret ad every day driving to work, that's going to shape your mind and you have to consciously resist it. Um, both in terms of expectations and in terms of the value and purpose of humans. Like there's those things. But like those big three idols of sex, money, and power, which we come back to all the time, recognizing that the power idolatry that's at play in some of the real America stuff, that is like the this view of humans as individual, uh, this view that societies don't exist, right? Mm-hmm. Which, which we live in a society, you know, and trying to understand the, the limits of autonomy in conjunction with seeking the common good uh, for all people. And I, I do just want our church, myself, and you to recognize that this is coming for our hearts, just like sexual idolatry is coming for our hearts. Yeah, so here's a question I have kind of, I guess, to, to try to put the rubber to, or you know, rubber to the road on this. So... Um, one of the things that I think is just so interesting is how shaped people are who are engaged in politics. I realize there's a whole kind of person who's already like probably turned this off and gone, well, this doesn't really apply to me. I don't care about all this stuff, you know, whatever. Um, but there, there are more kind of politically minded people um, who tend to be way more engaged with radio and podcasts and content and daily wire and, you know, uh, whatever the websites are, you know, so to just to make this real kind of specific, there's a, uh, there's a, a show, Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. These are the guys that took over the slot of Rush Limbaugh. Uh, same music. You know, they, they make sure they know that they're not taking over the Rush Limbaugh show, but they're taking over. The, they took over the Rush Limbaugh show. Um, and I kind of paid attention to it. I, I would listen to Rush from time to time, not not real regularly, but just sometimes when I'd be out in the middle of the day. Um, but Clay Travis was a guy because he did sports talk. I kind of knew about him, and as COVID was hitting, he was still doing a bunch of sports talk, and he was kind of talking about some of the insanity of some of the shutting down high school sports, and so he was kind of on my radar there. Well, then he gets kind of moved into this new slot with Buck Sexton, who I think kind of had a you know former job in the CIA or whatever. Neither of these guys uh, have I ever heard that they would profess to be Christians. Maybe I just don't know. I mean, they put out lots of content, so it's possible I missed it. But they don't seem to be coming from a Christian place. Um, but they're very popular voices. I think about um, Sean Hannity. He's a very significant voice to this kind of real America. You know, he's a Roman Catholic. Megan Kelly, Roman Catholic. Uh, Matt Walsh, Roman Catholic. Um, you know, I don't know. I guess Charlie Kirk would probably say he's more of an evangelical. Um, and I'm sure I'm missing, you know, some of these. Right now, The I mean, the whole you know, media landscape is so fractured that, you know, everyone has the different people they listen to. You know, I don't know where Dan Bongino would fall. Um, it's interesting, you know, uh, Joe Rogan now, who probably wouldn't be considered conservative, but is a significant voice to a lot of conservatives right now, especially because the libs are coming after him, right? And it's, so it's this interesting thing where it's like um, a lot of us are being shaped by people that we would go, uh, Really? You know, and you and I are probably more sympathetic uh, to some Roman Catholic people, depending on who it is, than a lot of people would be. Like, I know people who would go, like, if we said, hey, we're going to bring a Roman Catholic in to teach about anything, they would go, what? Our church is doing what? 
but they're going to be influenced every day by Sean Hannity. They're going to be influenced every day by Megyn Kelly. Um, and, and that's like the Roman Catholics, let alone the kind of like garden variety pagan, you know, but I listen to Clay and Buck, especially when some big COVID thing happens and they just, they're all over. It. <laughs> and I love it, you know, cause I agree with where they are on that issue. I agree with some, you know, and so I find it stirring this stuff in me that like on one hand I go, man, I really love this. And I agree with it. On the other hand, I go, I don't know how good this is for me. So, um, that's a long rambling. I don't know if there's a question in there somewhere, but it's to go like, okay, how do we, how do we engage with these voices that we on a lot of things do agree with? And it's okay to agree with them about those things. And yet be aware that we might be being shaped, um, by some other things that we probably shouldn't agree with based on our faith because some of these people aren't sharing our same conviction. So how do, do we go, you know what? I'm just not going to listen to anybody. King and culture is the only thing I listen to. I just over and over and over on repeat or, or can we engage with this stuff? If we do, how do we do it? What are your thoughts there? Yeah. Like there's a whole other list of names you could talk about. Like, sure. I know, I don't know anybody who, who's a conservative that doesn't like Ben Shapiro. You know, he's Jewish mm. and he's mm-hmm. not, he's not Jewish. Like in the uh, fear of the Lord, sense <laughs> right he's but he's a practicing yeah i mean where's a yarmulke yeah he's very like, jewish he's all in yeah and it there's just this tendency to make compromises where we can make alliances and working with people for common good so this is a, another example of that i think that there are organizations that we partner with that if we have a shared goal we would work with them on that Right. Be, that's we don't have to like agree on everything. Mm-hmm. Right. We but like there's there are churches around that we partner with that we serve people together that like we're different than whether we're reformed and they're not. They might have female pastors and we don't. But it's like, you know what, we're we're aligned on the certain things that makes it OK to partner with folks on that. You know, a lot of folks like uh, like partnering with uh, like Mormons, Mitt Romney. Right. Or or sure. or conservative Jews, even most Jews tend to be far more progressive. But just recognizing that if the preeminent goal of the Christian life is to be shaped into the image of Christ, to walk in the way that he walked, to speak in the way that he spoke, and to live like he would live if he was me, then these voices have to be at best secondary Mm. and certainly not even something close to primary. And so if we start to feel incongruent with the heart and message and posture and tone and love of Jesus because I start to be more congruent. Like if I, if I'm talking to people the way Ben Shapiro talks to people, if I'm not talking to people the way that Jesus talks to people, then I'm probably descending to the level of idolatry because that's, that's one of the hard things to discern is like, when do you have values and when do you have idols trying to recognize that? Well, but, and and I think, but this is also like, you know, and I realize this opens a whole different can, but you know, like, what I couldn't stand about Trump was he was saying all these things that I thought like, gosh, that is so rude and terrible. And what I loved about Trump was he was saying all these things that were rude and terrible. And it was like, well, I'm glad he can say it because I can't say it because of my faith. And it reminds me a little bit, honestly, as we've been recently going through John 18 of these Pharisees who are like, Hey Pilate, you know, we can't put him to death, but it would be really great if you can. Yeah. And it's like, ooh, and I, I'm not. There's all these other things. Well, what about would Biden be better? And uh, and I'm not. I'm not going down that road. I'm just saying this aspect of like how we will 
root for people who are doing things that serve our interests, but they're doing it in a way that's like contrary to yeah, this Jesus is-, is really tempting. And it's, and it's a, I feel like this real like gateway drug of compromise. And this is how I would make sense of when do I have values and when do I have idols is this question is, am I willing to compromise my means to achieve my ends? Right. So having a good goal is good, but if I'm willing to do or put up with bad stuff in order to get the goal consistently, and by that what I mean is, okay, so if I'm demeaning and rude to people, and if I'm unkind in a way that's incongruent with Christ, now Christ called people to the table, he was he was a truth teller, he, he was not afraid to withhold truth for the sake of managing people's emotions, he was sure. okay with causing Yeah, read Matthew 23, he's letting it rip. Yeah, he's letting it rip. Not out of control, yeah, but measured, thoughtful, and intensely true. Yes, and he's doing this to right wingers in his time, right? And and but if I'm okay with sinning so that I can get what I consider something that's a biblical goal, then that's when I've started to I think betray my values and my values have become idols and trying to work through some of those things. But I do think that. Uh, working with and listening to and learning from people who don't agree with us on a lot of core things is also okay. Mm-hmm. The, the question I just have for us is who's the primary rabbi in our life? Is it, huh. is it the Lord or is it Ben Shapiro? I don't think he's actually a rabbi, but there's, you know, there's only one person who should be shaping our heart, mind, and soul with absolute authority. And that doesn't mean that I can't read a book written by a non-Christian historian and really learn stuff, but I have to understand that, um, seeking the welfare of the city which I'm sent, like in the Jeremiah 27, 27, 29, 7 sense, is something that I'm doing under the authority of the Lordship of Jesus. I'm not doing it because it's a good thing, period. I'm doing it because God has told me it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And so having my heart aligned with Jesus and working with that and trying to just go, who's shaping my affections and my desires? Am I finding myself stirred up with anger against people who are not my enemies, people who are my mission field. Sure. That's what's, that's the main thing here is you're going the, the right wing crazy people and the left wing crazy people, they are not our enemies. They are our mission field. And if we're not thinking about them in terms of our responsibility to be a blessing to them and to work towards them, trying to help them be folded eventually into the kingdom of God, then we're missing the whole point here. Right. And so all of this kind of means compromising for the sake of ends deal is, I think, part of what we're foolish about. And so it's just it was funny to me over the last few years about how, you know, on issues of race, if if it was like, hey, I don't agree with that position or that understanding of things, then I'm going to go investigate that person's background. And based on their background, I'm going to write off the whole thing. If I agree with the person's position on it, then I don't care about their background. And even, and so you'd have people going, well, don't you know that they're an atheist? And like, well, yeah, but the person that you love is an atheist too. <laughs> so it's not about where they come from. It's just about whether you like their position. And, uh, oh yeah. And so I think there's, there's just these, um, there's just this real temptation to, um, be inconsistent with ourselves. And so that, that's where, and I, I feel like, man, of course we're going to be that way. I just want us to be reflective about it. Yeah, and I, I also just want us to be critical about who we, who gets to get called a conservative, right? I've heard folks like the Barstool sports guy that because he's against government shutdowns, he's a conservative, even though like his entire life is marked by just debauchery and Hmm. adulterous 
sleuziness. Yeah. Right. And just going, someone agreeing with you on fiscal policy does not equal that they're an ally. We just got to be really careful about some of this stuff. And I think it's important to recognize start the way how, how tempted we are, how affected we are. Like, I think if you talk to some high schooler and they're like, yeah, I'm not affected by LGBTQ stuff, you call that person stupid. Mm. Maybe not to their face, but you're like, oh, yeah, they have no idea how affected they are. Like, sure. it's like asking a fish, how's the water? It's like, right. what water? Right. And looking at high schoolers today and saying, how much, how shaped are you by, like, sexual liberation? Like, oh, I'm not really affected by it. It's like, okay, well, one day you'll grow up to learn you're affected by it. Right. And I feel like that about a lot of conservative folks is one day we'll look back and realize how tossed up we were in this FJB stuff and LGB stuff and just how it helps our heart not feel congruent. And I, and I, one of the markers I have for myself even is when I think about certain political figures that drive me bonkers or that I'm convinced I'm smarter than, and that if I had the job, I'd do better than them, et cetera, et cetera, is am I viewing them as a missionary? And one of the ways I do that is, am I praying for them? Is my heart breaking for the way that they're far from the Lord? Do I, am I seeing them as a complicated person with disappointments and losses and hopes and dreams? Or am I reducing them to some one-dimensional political head who does things I don't like? Yeah. And so trying to humanize and actually find myself in prayer for folks that I really disagree with and lamenting situations rather than just being angry. I think one of the things when it comes to even just the emotion of anger most of the time it's covering up sadness. Like angers are to defend sadness. That makes me sad, and I don't like feeling sad. Nobody should like feeling sad. It's, by definition, negative emotion. But anger tends to protect or defend sadness. Mm-hmm. And so trying to go, like, what am I sad about that's making me, that's leading me into anger? And so trying to fight to stay sad and to lament and grieve and to be broken in prayer about these things rather than just become angry, distant, cold, critical, dehumanizing of these folks. And so... I would just ask, even, even go back to those four quadrants, you know, the just America, the real America, the smart America, the free America, thinking about those different names, you know, Reagan and people like him, Trump and Palin and people like him, uh, AOC and people like them, the Clintons, people like them. Do you spend more time praying for or being angry about? Well, and, and someone might go, well, but don't you understand? They're a real threat. They're a real enemy. And that's when Jesus would then say, in Matthew five forty four, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I think uh, that's where you start to go, ooh, yeah, right, that's right, Jesus, ouch. And, uh, you know, because you go, man, let's imagine they're the worst ever. Well, then now Jesus says, well, now you got to love and pray for them. That is true. Well, uh, I guess uh, that about does it, so... <laughs> We ran out of stuff to talk about. I guess we did. So uh, thanks for listening, and uh, I don't know what we'll talk about next time, but um, we'll be back at some point. Like, uh, share, subscribe, post. Yeah, just do all the stuff you're supposed to do when you really love something. So Mm -hmm. give us a huge review because all these people are going to find it. We actually don't really care about that. We're doing that for the People of Redemption Gateway. If uh, the rest of you are listening in, that's cool too. But uh, that's it for today. Peace.